welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 46, Restoration of His People. I am in Wyoming this week, and I am recording here in my parents' uh, new bedroom. They just moved in with my grandparents, um, and it is not as quiet as it normally is. But I have a really great view out the window to my grandmother's wildflowers, and this is truly one of my most favorite spots. And one of the spots on earth where I feel the spirit the strongest because I have such a connection to the earth that Heavenly Father has created while I'm here. So hopefully you guys don't hear too much background noise. It's definitely not as quiet as when I record at home. Um, but let's dive into this this week because this week is just so good. And I'm so grateful for you guys, for the privilege of studying every week and recording this for you because it enhances my life so much. I think the subject today, which is priesthood, is one that I've struggled with, struggled to feel connected with, and struggled to understand fully and understand how I can access power from. And this week, in in studying it specifically, because I had this episode to put out, it really just enhanced my understanding and I feel enlightened by the spirit and my mind feels expanded and, and like I understand more than ever how connected my life and how impacted my life is by the priesthood and the power that it brings to my life specifically. So let's get into this. Just to give you a little bit of context, there's quite a bit of time between section 83 and 84, about five months. And if you remember, the last time we talked about how Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon headed down to Missouri after that terrible mob attack, even though they were in pretty bad shape from that because they wanted to obey the Lord's command. Well, after that, they headed back up to Ohio again, where the majority of the saints were, were located and the church was growing. In the Doctrine and Covenants, when Zion specifically is referenced, it's usually talking about the physical location in Missouri. There was a significant group of saints living there at this time. They had been asked to go down there, and there were also some people who had not been asked to go down there that decided to go down there anyway, and that was causing some drama. And then the third place that we are primarily talking about is Hiram, Ohio, where Joseph, Joseph and Sidney have been living in the Johnson home to translate the Bible. So between section 83 and section 84, they finally finished their translation of the Bible. So Joseph and Emma move to Kirkland and live upstairs in the Newell K. Whitney store. So now at this point, when section 84 is written, Joseph is positioned in the middle of the primary group of saints. And while he was there, when he got there, a bunch of missionaries were starting to come home from their missions, and they were coming with some wonderful news. They were having great success on the East Coast, and as you can imagine, that was something that the saints longed to hear, and especially Joseph, who had sacrificed so much. So it's in that context that Section 84 is revealed. In 2019, we were specifically asked by President Nelson to study Section 84. In his talk, he said this, Every woman and every man who makes covenants with God and keeps those covenants and who participates worthily in priesthood ordinances has direct access to the power of God. Those who are endowed in the house of the Lord receive a gift of God's priesthood power by virtue of their covenant, along with a gift of knowledge to know how to draw upon that power. 
The heavens are just as open to women who are endowed with God's power flowing from their priesthood covenants as they are to men who bear the priesthood. I pray that truth will register upon each of your hearts because I believe it will change your life. Sisters, you have the right to draw liberally upon the Savior's power to help your family and the others you love. So with those words of our prophet, let's dive into this section. I want to start with verse 2. Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem. So according to that verse, why was his church established in the last days? It says for the restoration of his people. Now, I know it's cliche to start a lesson or a talk by saying the definition of something, but I'm telling you it's really useful. So don't toss it out just because it's a cliche. I often will be reading the scriptures or listening to a podcast and hear a word and I am given so much more clarity as soon as I look up the definition. So I looked up the definition of restoration and it is so interesting. There are two definitions. The first one is what you would expect, the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. But the second one was so cool in the context of what we are talking about today. It says the return of a hereditary monarch to a throne, a head of state to government or a regime to power. The return of power. Who is our ultimate lawgiver? Who is the king of kings? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And no, of course, he was never out of control or truly out of power, but his power and authority and church were taken from the earth. So thinking of that in this context, listen to that again. Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church established in the last days for the restoration of his people. Here specifically, he is not speaking about the restoration of his church. He is specifically saying concerning his church established in the last days for the restoration of his people. And what restoration of power happened when the church was in its early stages? The power of God here on earth. The holy priesthood of God. Think about the priesthood in that way. What if we think of the restoration not just as as a revelatory miracle of doctrine, but within that doctrine and that restoration is the restoration of the power of God here on earth, the restoration of the Lord as our literal king, endowing his people with power to speak and act in his name. The restoration is literally the reestablishing of the kingdom of God here on earth, and one day that kingdom will be our world government. Like for real. (laughs) Like I said, I'm in Wyoming right now. And so I have my mom's scriptures right in front of me. And on the outside of her scriptures, she has written on a sticky note. There is a quote one day. And I love that reminder. We talk about all of these grand things in the church, but it feels sometimes removed and distant and abstract. But like my mom is saying on her little sticky note, one day The Lord will reign as our king, and his people have been and continue to be restored with his power. The second reason in that verse he gives for establishing his church is for the gathering of the saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the new city of Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds exactly like the second definition of restoration, the return of a kingdom to power, the enemy defeated. Now, all of these things obviously have yet to um, happen yet. We don't have the city of New Jerusalem yet. And some pretty amazing things will happen there. 
In verse 5 it says, For verily this generation shall not pass away, until an house shall be built unto the Lord, and a cloud shall rest upon it, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. Aren't you guys excited for this temple to be built? This future capital city of the Lord's kingdom on earth and its accompanying temple is very central to a lot of prophecy. When's it going to happen? I want to (laughs) know, but we don't. It says it will happen in, quote, this generation. But what does that mean? Bruce R. McConkie says this about the word generation. Not those living in a particular period or age, but the house of Israel, both anciently in the meridian of time and now in these latter days. It includes faithful members of the church who have taken upon themselves the name of Christ and been adopted into this family. So let's talk about some of the ways that he has and is still currently restoring his people here on earth, restoring his power and kingdom. In the next portion of this section, it goes through the line of authority of the priesthood from the beginning. Side note, did you know that you can request the line of authority of a priesthood holder? You just have to email lineofauthority at churchofjesuschrist.org. For any man, the line of authority really is not that many generations back until you reach Jesus Christ. So that is really, really cool to see. And it's a great reminder that priesthood authority is sourced directly from him. Moving on to verse 19 through 22, it says, And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Now that last part, why can no man see the face of God, even the Father, and live without these priesthood ordinances? What are those ordinances? Baptism, sealing, endowment. All of these things are necessary for our salvation and necessary for us to come into the presence of God. In the book, Scripture Study for Latter-day Saint Families by Dennis H. Leavitt and Richard O. Christensen, it explains these verses in this way. What is a key for? To unlock a door. And just remember, it says that the priesthood holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key to the knowledge of God. So what is a key for? To unlock a door. If I unlock the front door to my home, who would be able to enter? Anyone. What key does the Melchizedek priesthood hold according to these verses? The key to the knowledge of God. How does a Melchizedek priesthood holder unlock that door and help us learn about God? Through priesthood ordinances, like baptism, baby blessings, temple ordinances, father blessings, healing blessings, baptisms for the dead, sealings, etc., right? They continue, once a Melchizedek priesthood holder is available to unlock the door, meaning provide the ordinances, who can receive these ordinances and learn about God? Anyone who is worthy. While sisters in the church do not hold the priesthood, the door to all the blessings of the kingdom of God is open to all who are worthy. Now, I know that this particular subject is one that many really struggle with, and it's understandable why. I want to just tell you how I think about it. It might be helpful for you. It might not be. So take it or leave it. But these are my thoughts. This is what's going on in my brain. When I think about women in the priesthood, God does all things with a purpose and with order. God himself is male. 
God's power and authority here on earth reflects the structure that is clearly divine and has purpose and order. I think we don't quite understand the structure of what went on in the premortal existence and what goes on currently in heaven. But I do think that the structure in heaven mirrors the structure of his church here on earth. I also know that even though I don't hold the priesthood, because of the priesthood and all the blessings God promises to his children are available to me through those ordinances. Salvation and exaltation is available to me. All of those blessings that are available to men are also available to me. And I am grateful for the priesthood because of that. I have been so richly blessed because of that. Although I don't entirely understand everything right now about priesthood and why it is the way it is, I have faith that the perfect order of things is for a wise purpose. And quite honestly, that's good enough for me. I could decide to dwell on it and be extra bothered, but I choose not to be. I choose to have faith that he is so much smarter than I am and that someday it will make perfect sense. I know that faith precedeth miracles. Moroni said this, I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. What do I hope for? I hope for a better world. I hope for the perfection that only God can bring. And I have faith that the perfect order of things is his and not mine. I don't see that order yet. I don't see exactly how everything, all of this, this organization perfectly fits together. I don't see how it works. I can't see into heaven. I can't see into the afterlife either. But I hope for those things. I have faith that Heavenly Father knows what he's doing. So continuing with Moroni, Wherefore dispute not because ye see not, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. We don't get to know everything right now, and that is okay. That is how it was always supposed to be. And I know that I will be supported because I have faith that he knows more than I do. Continuing with Moroni, For it was by faith that Christ showed himself unto our fathers, and after he had risen from the dead, and he showed not himself unto them until after they had faith in him. Wherefore, it must needs be that some had faith in him, for he showed himself not unto the world. Because of the faith of men, he has shown himself unto the world, and glorified the name of the Father, and prepared a way that thereby others might be partakers of the heavenly gift, that they might hope for things which they have not seen. Wherefore, ye may also have hope and be partakers of the gift, if ye will but have faith. We will get to understand things, eventually, on God's time. But first, we need to have faith that he knows exactly what he's doing. President Nelson said, Most certainly the adversary does not want you to understand the covenant you made at baptism or the profound endowment of knowledge and power you have received or will receive in the temple, the house of the Lord. And Satan certainly does not want you to understand that every time you worthily serve and worship in the temple, you leave armed with God's power and with his angels having charge over you. So I want to move on to a second thing that I think in my own head when I think of women in the priesthood. I think that the world, I think that Satan would have us undervalue the particularly special calling that women specifically have here on earth, motherhood. And I want to preface all of this, everything I'm about to say, knowing that some of you listening do not have children yet or haven't had the ability to have biological children. 
So before I move forward, let's remember the promise reiterated again and again in different ways that no blessing will be withheld. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, To the women within the sound of my voice who dearly want to be mothers and are not, I say through your tears and ours on that subject, God will yet, in days that lie somewhere ahead, bring hope to the desolate heart. As prophets have repeatedly taught from this pulpit, ultimately no blessing shall be withheld from the faithful, even if those blessings do not come immediately. In the meantime, we rejoice that the call to nurture is not limited to our own flesh and blood. So before I move on with my thoughts, I want you to remember and have faith in that prophetic promise that no blessing will be withheld. The blessings of motherhood will be yours. We just don't quite know when yet. All right. So I have heard this particular mentality of comparing the honor and power of motherhood to the honor and power of priesthood mocked and made fun of, diminished and pushed aside. But as a woman whose role this is, I refuse to do that because I think Satan must be so gleeful when he sees us accept the lie that the creation of human lives in mortal bodies is anything less than divine and magnificent and holy. Let's listen to some things that our prophet and apostles have said. Ezra Taft Benson, no society will survive long without mothers who care for their young and provide that nurturing care so essential for their normal development. James E. Faust, there is no greater good in all the world than motherhood. The influence of a mother in the lives of her children is beyond calculation. M. Russell Ballard, there is no role in life more essential and more eternal than that of motherhood. The First Presidency, motherhood is near to divinity. It is the highest holiest service to be assumed by mankind. It places her who honors its holy calling and service next to the angels. I have co-created with God. My body, made through the biology created by God, the bodies of four powerful, beautiful, loved spirit children of God, the bodies that they came to earth for, those bodies that are essential to our capacity to become like our Heavenly Father and Mother in whose image we were made, the existence of a heavenly mother is proof that gender is an essential characteristic and that we were made specifically to be women and to bear children. The existence of our heavenly mother is proof that men and women cannot be exalted alone. The privilege and great honor of having a body that has the capability of creating more bodies is an aspect of my life that can stand on its own. It needs no qualification nor justification. I am a mother. I have no doubt that God intended for that to be a gift of great power. There's that word power again. To co-create with him and care for children who need me. The privilege of being a woman is not lost on me. And I reject the popular notion from the father of lies that the creation and nurture of children is anything less than a God-given endowment of power with unimaginable importance. I find it incredible to think about the fact that our Heavenly Father and Mother's mission resides in the calling of parenthood. It is my ultimate work to be in partnership with my husband and our eternal Heavenly Father in raising these children in love and righteousness, to be silly with them, to teach them of Christ, to help God mold them into the people that they will become. I will not be ashamed or diminished. I am powerful as a mother in Zion because when I rely on the Savior, He makes me so. You and I have important work to do.
And we must not let Satan diminish us by distracting us with worries about what's fair and what's not, about what we think our roles should or should not be, which just as a reminder is extremely short-sighted because he sees everything. He remembers everything before we were born. He knows everything that will happen after. And all we can see is right in front of our face. So you know what I think true wisdom is? It is trusting him who sees all. It is believing him when he says that our role is important and powerful. It is believing him when he says that we can access the same blessings, the same power through those ordinances as men can. And through that faith, that's when the miracles happen. That's when we truly get to access the knowledge and power of God and align ourselves with his will. So the reason I'm talking about motherhood in this chapter that doesn't really talk about motherhood is because I want all you women listening to me to know that the power of the restoration of his people, his power of restoring his kingdom to the earth, includes so many facets and sources of power. And one of the most essential, important powers is the God-given power of co-creating with God. And another essential source of power is the power of God restored here on the earth, the priesthood. And just as I revere every single woman listening to me for her divine role as a woman, I revere every man listening, every man I know, and most especially my husband for worthily holding the priesthood. Do you want to know something that may sound a little funny? but I think about sometimes, but really it's not funny. I sometimes look at my husband and imagine him as he could choose to become as an exalted man, becoming like Heavenly Father. I see that in him. Not because he's perfect now, but when I look at him with a heart in tune to how his Heavenly Father feels about him, it just gives me the chills. And that is true of your father, your brother, your husband, any man you know. Ask Heavenly Father to help you see them for who they can become, and I promise it will change the way you see them and your relationship with them, because that potential is there for all of us. No matter our faults, no matter our weaknesses, that potential is there for all of us because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because he can make weak things become strong. In verse 54, it says, And your mind in times past have become dark because of unbelief, and because you have treated lightly the things which you have received. Do we treat the priesthood, which is the power of God on earth, the key that unlocks the door to the knowledge of God through priesthood ordinances, do we treat that priesthood lightly? Are we diminishing our power and ability to understand the will of the Lord and claim the knowledge that He offers by treating it lightly? I know that I have. And I think that that's because it's hard to fully wrap your mind around it, around the priesthood, and it's easy to forget how incredible a blessing we've been given. What else do we treat lightly? Are we treasuring the words of our prophets? Do we listen to conference with anxious excitement? Do we go back and study their words? Are we treating the Book of Mormon in a way that would reflect the incredible dedication, planning, and sacrifice it took to get it to us? Are we feasting on its words to show Heavenly Father that we love Him and we want nothing more than to be close to Him? Are we going to the temple with a reverent, serious heart, anxiously engaged in gathering His children on the other side of the veil? If you are endowed, are you treating wearing your garments as a sacred privilege? Are you wearing them in the way that you have been instructed? Are you looking for reasons to take them off? 
Are you using your time in a way that shows Heavenly Father that you value it as a sacred gift that allows you to work on yourself here in mortality? I don't say all of these things to try and make you or me feel guilty or down on yourself, because remember, dwelling on self-criticism is not productive. Dwell on the amazing gift of the atonement and opportunity you have to self-evaluate and continually improve. All of those questions I just asked, there are so many more. And the reason there are so many more is because there are so many gifts we have been given in this, the fullness of times, that we need to ensure that we are not treating lightly. What did that verse say the consequence of treating these gifts lightly would bring? Our minds will be darkened, which is the opposite of enlightened. And we need to be enlightened through the spirit of revelation to get through these times. We need to be enlightened and ready to work because we have been commanded in this section alone to continually repent to remember our covenants and commandments, to bring forth fruit, to remain steadfast in our minds in solemnity and the spirit of prayer, and to bear testimony to all the world. We are also told in verse 81, Take no thought for tomorrow, for what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal ye shall be clothed. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And the kingdoms of the world, in all their glory, are not arrayed like one of these. For your Father, who is in heaven, knows that you have need of all these things. Therefore let the morrow take thought for the things of itself. Neither take ye thought beforehand what ye should say, but treasure up in your minds continually the word of life, and it shall be given you in the very hour that portion that shall be meted unto every man. And then verse 88, And whoso receiveth you, there will I be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and my angels round about you to bear you up. You guys, these are the words of the Lord concerning his church established in the last day for the restoration of his people, for the restoration of his power through his people, for the restoration of his power through his people to usher in his second coming usher in the kingdom of God here on the earth. And this section reveals to us the song that will be sung at that great event. Joseph Fielding Smith said of this song, The new song which they shall sing at this great day will be concerning the redemption of Zion and the restoration of Israel. Even now there are those who have set to music these beautiful words, but we may believe that no music has yet been produced that will compare with the music for the song when Zion is redeemed. So this song is starting in verse 99. The Lord hath brought again Zion. The Lord hath redeemed his people, Israel, according to the election of grace, which was brought to pass by faith in the covenant of their fathers. The Lord has redeemed his people, and Satan is bound, and time is no longer. The Lord hath gathered all things in one. The Lord hath brought down Zion from above. The Lord hath brought up Zion from beneath. The earth hath travailed and brought forth her strength and truth is established in her bowels, and the heavens have smiled upon her, and she is clothed with glory of her God, for he stands in the midst of his people. Glory and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God, for he is full of mercy, justice, grace, and truth, and peace forever and ever. Amen. Those words fill me with just like wonder and amazement. This is a great work. We are a people endowed with power and given authority from God to share with the world the incredible news of the plan of redemption and the great plan of happiness. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, This church does not belong to its president. Its head is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name each of us have taken upon ourselves. We are all in this great endeavor together. We are here to assist our Father in His work and His glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man 
Your obligation is as serious in your sphere of responsibility as my obligation is in my sphere. No calling in this church is small or of little consequence. All of us, in the pursuit of our duty, touch the lives of others. All of us in this great cause are of one mind, of one belief, of one faith. You have as great an opportunity for satisfaction in the performance of your duty as I do in mine. The progress of this work will be determined by our joint efforts. Whatever your calling, it is as fraught with the same kind of opportunity to accomplish good as is mine. What is really important is that this is the work of our Master. Our work is to go about doing good as He did. Listen to the words of the Lord in verse 119. For I, the Lord, have put forth my hand to exert the powers of heaven. You cannot see it now, yet a little while, and you shall see it, and know that I am, and that I will come and reign with my people. Yet a little while, and you shall see it, because, like my mom says, one day will come. And let's remember what Moroni said in Ether chapter 12, When do miracles come? For if there be no faith among the children of men, God can do no miracle among them. Wherefore he showeth not himself until after their faith. I have faith that the priesthood allows me access to all of the blessings, all of the power that I need in this life and in the life to come. Because of the priesthood, the doors have been unlocked for me to access the knowledge of God. And for that, I am so grateful, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.